This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. A judge in California sentenced Elizabeth Holmes, founder of the disgraced blood testing startup Theranos, to more than 11 years in prison for fraud. Ms. Holmes was convicted in January of deliberately misleading investors by claiming her technology could diagnose hundreds of diseases, including cancer and diabetes, from a few drops of blood. Theranos, once valued at more than $9 billion, was in fact testing samples using existing machines from other companies. America's Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed Jack Smith as special counsel to lead the Justice Department's investigation into Donald Trump. The former war crimes prosecutor will oversee Mr. Trump's handling of classified materials at his Mar-a-Lago estate, as well as his efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The appointment comes days after Mr. Trump declared he would run for president again in 2024. The Kremlin accused Ukrainian forces of executing Russian prisoners of war in the Donbas region. It was responding to a video that purported to show at least 10 Russian soldiers being shot after they surrendered, which, if true, would be a war crime. Ukraine's government has yet to comment on the allegation. Kim Jong-un, North Korea's dictator, pledged to speed up the country's nuclear weapons program, a response to America's beefing up its regional presence in East Asia and, quote, hysteric, aggressive war drills by the enemies, he said. Mr. Kim was visiting the site from which it tested an intercontinental ballistic missile on Friday. He was accompanied by his daughter, the first time she has been seen in public. The ruptures at the Nord Stream gas pipeline in September were the result of, quote, grievous sabotage, an investigation by Swedish prosecutors concluded. The controversial pipelines were created to transport natural gas from Russia to Germany through the Baltic Sea, but tensions over Ukraine meant Nord Stream 2 was never operational. Prosecutors found traces of explosives, but declined to comment on probable suspects. The sale of alcohol has been banned in stadiums only two days before the World Cup commences in Qatar. FIFA, football's governing body, announced the decision on Friday after discussions with, quote, host country authorities. Anheuser-Busch InBev, the world's biggest brewer, which has sponsored the tournament for $75 million, will now only sell Bud Zero, an alcohol-free beverage, at stadiums. The Biden administration said that Mohammed bin Salman, Saudi Arabia's de facto ruler, has immunity from a lawsuit over the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, a Saudi journalist. American intelligence officials believe Prince Mohammed was behind the killing in Turkey in 2018, but his new role as prime minister, he was appointed in September, means he cannot be prosecuted. And word of the week, kafala, an Arabic word roughly meaning sponsorship. Workers under Qatar's kafala system often have their freedom curtailed. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Malaysia goes to the polls. On Saturday, the three-quarters of Malaysians who think their country is on the wrong track have a chance to apportion the blame. That is tougher than it seems. Since the most recent vote in 2018, Malaysia has had three prime ministers from three different parties. Distracted by bickering and backstabbing, no one has governed well. 
The ruling Barisan Nasional coalition has promised stability, hoping that voters will look past its atrocious record of corruption. The lead party in the ascendant Parikatan Nasional coalition wants the government to be as devoutly Islamic as the country's Malay majority, to the dismay of Indian and Chinese voters. And the Pakatan Harapan coalition hopes to rack up votes in cities by talking about good governance, something it failed to deliver after triumphing in 2018. Alas, polls suggest a hung parliament is likely. The next government may not be chosen just in polling booths, but in smoke-filled rooms. Macron Attends Francophone Summit After a week in Asia, Emmanuel Macron on November 19th heads to Jerba, an island in Tunisia. There, the French president will attend the Francophone Summit, a biannual get-together of leaders of French-speaking countries. It is often an awkward gathering, an attempt to reaffirm the vitality of their common language at a time when French is challenged by the spread of English, Mandarin Chinese, and other tongues. Many Francophones contest the rigid guardianship of the language by post-colonial France. Today, of the 321 million people who speak French, 62% live in Africa. Mr. Macron has long argued for a less formal, more vibrant way for Francophone countries to interact, once calling la Francophonie, quote, a tired club. But informally, culture will not be the only talking point. The French president may well also want to discuss the war in Ukraine and insecurity in the African Sahel. France withdrew its troops from Mali after a coup in August 2021 and closed a counter-terrorist operation there. Sarajevo Safari Reopens Wounds of the Siege A documentary with disturbing new allegations about the siege of Sarajevo screened at Istanbul's International Crime and Punishment Film Festival this week. Sarajevo Safari, a film by Miran Zupanik, a Slovenian, alleges that during the Bosnian War of 1992-95, certain foreigners paid Serbian forces to allow them to fire upon civilians in the city. An unidentified man working for an American agency says he witnessed this. And a Bosnian army veteran tells of a captured combatant who recounted how foreigners, dressed for hunting, spoke of paying for the opportunity to shoot. The allegation that outsiders were invited to fire into Sarajevo is not new. Footage exists of a Russian writer, the late Edward Limanov, apparently doing so. But the charge that money changed hands has fueled fresh outrage. After Sarajevo Safari was shown in Sarajevo itself in September, the Bosnian prosecutor's office opened a new investigation into the shootings. The documentary is due to appear on Balkan television in January. Polish Sculpture in London As a youngster, Magdalena Abakanowicz saw the horror of the Second World War at close range. Drunk German soldiers invaded her home and shot her mother. Miss Abakanowicz discovered that making art was a way to feel free. The Polish textile artist's extraordinary work went on display at the Tate Modern Museum in London on Thursday. Her sculptures, made from fibers like horsehair, sisal, and braided hemp, are meditations on the power of imagination to overcome oppression. After the war, while seeking to study at the Academy of Fine Arts in Warsaw, she changed her name and posed as the daughter of a clerk. Any sign of her landowning heritage would have led her to being denounced as a class enemy and jeopardized her place. At the time, socialist realism was considered the only acceptable art form. 
1960, one of Ms. Abakanoich's works was censored after being categorized as formalist and therefore dangerous. Quote, in Poland, it was almost forbidden to talk about mystery, she told the New York Times. Quote, I did. Weekend Profile, Cheng Peng Zhao, Boss of Binance The implosion of FTX, until recently a major crypto exchange, has left plenty of people with egg on their faces. But one crypto giant has emerged stronger, at least for now. Binance has cemented its status as the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, and Cheng Peng Zhao, its 45-year-old co-founder and boss, has triumphed. The crypto crash may have taken its toll on Mr. Zhao's fortune, but he is still worth a cool $17 billion. Mr. Zhao was born in China in 1977. When he was 12, his family, facing repression at home, fled to Canada. But after studying computer science at McGill University in Montreal, Mr. Zhao returned to China. In 2015, convinced that Bitcoin would do to finance what the internet would do to information, he launched BG Tech, which offered software to crypto exchanges in Shanghai. China soon shut down all crypto exchanges, but Mr. Cao was undeterred, skirting Chinese restrictions by relocating to various hubs around Asia. In July 2017, he launched his own cryptocurrency exchange, Binance. Today, dozens of billions of dollars worth of assets change hands each day on the platform. Binance usually takes a 0.1% fee for its trouble. The company has thrived thanks to Mr. Cao's ruthless decision-making. At the height of the boom in ICOs, initial coin offerings in 2017, Binance rushed to list the flurry of newly launched cryptocurrencies as other exchanges dawdled. Earlier this month, after rumors of trouble emerged at FTX, Mr. Cao said that Binance would sell $600 million worth of an FTX token, a move that precipitated his rival's crash crunch. A complete crash across the sector would probably obliterate Mr. Cao's wealth, most of which is held in digital assets, and Binance faces other problems. Critics say Mr. Cao's taste for, quote, controlled chaos, his reliance on a small inner circle, and his ravenous appetite for growth have led to corner-cutting. The exchange's history is peppered with damaging hacks and allegations of money laundering. This week, Mr. Cao promised more transparency and said Binance would prove that it has enough liquid assets to face any crisis. Yet as the crypto crash deepens and regulators come sniffing, the digital Teflon man may not prove resistant to corrosion forever. The winners of this week's quiz Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Hyunwook Kim, Seoul, South Korea North America, Donald Rotsign, Greenwich, Connecticut, America Central and South America, Kayo Priskulnik, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Europe, Bruce Doy, Chelmsford, Britain. Africa, Karen Trudeau, Kempton Park, South Africa. Oceania, Dominic Harvey, Auckland, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Dora Carrington, Pigs, Barneys, Snow Patrol, and Clifford Irving. The theme is children's television shows. Dora the Explorer, Peppa Pig, Barney and Friends, Paw Patrol, and Clifford the Big Red Dog. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike.
Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jack Dorsey, who was born on this day in 1976. You don't have to start from scratch to do something interesting. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.